0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the gospel according to Matthew. Today we're going to begin in the second chapter. So you think, well, he's making progress. Hey, after like two weeks, he's in the second chapter. Well, don't get your hopes up. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to be here a minute because this is about the wise men and and the thing to remember about Matthew's gospel. It's impossible to just to, to, to teach it without referring back to the Old Testament because all of Matthew is written with a Jewish audience in mind. He, he uh, confirms more prophecy from the Old Testament than any other uh, New Testament writer, and so he, he's particularly interested here in convincing Jews that that Jesus was their Messiah and that he is. Um, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the old testament and so we've already seen that in in the first chapter we saw it in a couple of different places and now here we are in the second chapter and the heading for the beginning of the second chapter is the visit of the wise men well we're gonna have to deal with that we're gonna have to deal with who are these people and why are they visiting jesus why did they come why do they even care why is it important to them? And so that, that's important background information that we need to know. So we're going to start, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to spend some time looking at who these wise men are and why they would have come. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Well, that's an interesting idea (laughs) that these guys come. I mean, nobody in Israel seems to care. Nobody went out to Bethlehem of Judea. Nobody else saw what they saw. Nobody else has rushed to Bethlehem to greet them. In fact, when Jesus and, well, when Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem, there's not even a place for them to stay. Now, part of that has to do with the the city's pretty full, because all the descendants of David have come home to enroll in the census that Luke tells us about. So they're not there on on some little, you know, side trip or or, or a trip home or something like that. No, they're there for a particular reason, but so are a huge number of other people who have come at the behest of the Roman emperor to come and enroll themselves in the census in in their ancestral homelands. So that's why Jesus is born in Bethlehem, but it also explains why there's no room for him when you come to that place. But <clears throat> surely word that this virgin or this claimed virgin had come to Bethlehem with her husband Joseph, and, and surely there would have been some, you know, at least curiosity, right? But there seems to have been none at all, and God didn't make that huge a deal out of it. He just went to the shepherds, Luke tells us, and brought the shepherds to be there when this child was born. And it's an interesting thing, because God is, what, the great good shepherd, ultimately, and Jesus is here to come and shepherd the flock. And so the shepherds are the ones who God brings that night to see this child. And now, though, nine, ten months later, something like that, come these wise men from the east— It's interesting because they come into town and they ask the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Why was all Jerusalem troubled by this? I can understand Herod being concerned about it. Herod was particularly insecure. He killed some of his own children because he felt threatened by them. He was a horrible, horrible man. His family had been captured, actually, by the Jews and had been forced to convert, and so he was sort of kind of Jewish, but his commitment to Judaism wasn't very great, to be perfectly honest with you. So now what he hears is the king of the Jews has been born, and he feels greatly threatened by the idea that the king of the Jews has been born. Now, is he an idiot? Is he crazy enough to believe that he could stop God's will by doing what he did? Yeah, he is. He is exactly that crazy. So he was troubled, and but why was all Jerusalem with him troubled? Well, they were actually not too terribly upset with the Pax Romana. They, it, it, life wasn't too bad. They, they had freedom, more or less, as long as they behaved and didn't kick up too much of a fuss. And they've done that a couple of times during Roman rule, but right now, not so much. That They were not unhappy with Roman rule. They still had the temple. They still were allowed to worship. They were, they, they were allowed to do their thing, as long as it didn't get in crossways with Rome. And so they, they weren't too terribly upset by this. And so now to hear that the king of the Jews has come, well, they, th- this had the potential to cause problems and so they were concerned about it and then assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea so it's written by the prophet and you O Bethlehem in the land of Judah are no means least among the rulers of Judah for whom you shall come from from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel so they're they're able immediately to say exactly where this king of the Jews would be born he would be born in Bethlehem but they don't seem even remotely interested that these wise men have come from the East, and they have said, we see his sign that the um, King of the Jews has been born. We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. But they don't seem to care. I, I once heard a guy named Mike Breen, who I liked a lot, who was a, a-, a pastor from Britain, came and spoke um, for quite often, actually, at our church in Pauly's Island, and and Mike one time um, was talking about something he, he referred to people as frog Christians. He said, do you all know what that is? And we all looked at him like, no, it must be a British thing. He said, the frog Christians are the, are the people that when you mention anything about Scripture, their response is, read it, read it, read it. <clears throat> but, they, but they fail to get anything out of it. They fail to see the truth in it. They fail to be excited by the Word of God and inspired by the Word of God. That's just another book. Well, that's roughly what happens here. When, when he brings together the chief priests and the scribes, they know immediately where this child is to be born, but they're not even interested, and they can't be bothered to go with these wise men from the east out to Bethlehem to see. None of this matters to them. They, they don't They're not even interested, much less excited, by the prospect. They were troubled along with Herod over the prospect. So now we've got to drop back a little bit and say, who are these people? Who are these wise men? Well, they're the Magi, right? I mean that's that's who they are. They they're the magi's, um, and so where do they come from? And who are they? Well, it's it's sort of a combined group of two different people. It's the Chaldeans, who were the wise men and the magicians in um, Nebuchadnezzar's court at the time of Daniel, at the time of the exile into Babylon. So it's them. But then that when when Babylon was conquered by the Persians, they had their own group of people, the Medes, that they bring in into that region, and so now they've merged these two groups of wise men, and who is the greatest of all the wise men at the time? That would be Daniel. Oh, you don't believe me that Daniel would have been the greatest? No, Daniel was set in charge of everything, but let's go back and let's take a minute um, or, or maybe a couple of days and take a look at who these people are and why Daniel would have been considered the greatest of the Magi. So in the time of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? So he had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. It was such a big deal. This dream bothered him so much that he couldn't even sleep. So the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll show the interpretation. So tell us what your dream was, and we'll tell you what it means. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. What's he looking for? He's looking for confirmation that they actually have the powers that they claim. This dream was so powerful to Nebuchadnezzar, he needed greater confirmation than they were prepared to give. They were prepared to interpret whatever he said, but they weren't even remotely in a place where they could know what he had dreamed. So he says, if you, sh- you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time. Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty you're trying to gain time. You're stalling for time here, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you don't make the dream known to me, there's, no, there's but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I'll know that you can show me its interpretation. I'm not going to trust you with the interpretation, unless you can tell me what the dream is. I, I need to see that you are indeed wise. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Well, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure he was aware of that. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. What a fascinating statement. They acknowledge that only, only the gods, plural, can, can know these things. But those gods' dwelling is not with flesh. In other words, we don't have any access to what the gods know. They don't make their dwelling here so they can't come and show us or you what the dream is and what it means. We don't have access to the gods in that way. Their dwelling is not with flesh. Huh. Jewish claim was exactly the opposite. That God's dwelling, he did dwell among his people. They had seen him. They had seen the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, as it guided them in the wilderness. They had seen the power of God in multiple different times in the knowledge that God was with them. They had seen the Shekinah glory filling the temple. They believed, in fact, that God's dwelling was in heaven, but his footstool was on earth. And so God was with his people in that way. They had made him a dwelling called the temple. That was the whole point of the temple. It was to be the place where God dwelt among men. God wanted a place on this earth where he could come and be among his people. And and then Jesus comes. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. A complete refutation of a Babylonian understanding of the gods. You're right. The gods don't dwell among flesh but God does. And so because of this, the king was angry and f- very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, because they were part of the group. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel didn't know what had gone on. They hadn't brought him in whenever they brought the Chaldeans and the magicians and the diviners and all those other people in. So Daniel had to say, well, I don't understand. What's the big deal here? Why is this so urgent? So Arioch made the matter known to him. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. We know those three men better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace for their failure to worship the image the king had set up. And so they told them to seek, he told them, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So he asked them to pray that God would make it known, and they and did. And so Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now you have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So Arioch brought him in before the king in haste. In other words, hey, i got to get you in there real quick because I've got to destroy these people if you don't get this done. He said, I've found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So did Arioch sort of kind of misunderstand this whole thing? Did he not understand that it wasn't just the interpretation that had to be done by Daniel? The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. That's the name that Nebuchadnezzar had given him. It's a good little Babylonian name as opposed to Daniel, which was his Jewish name. He said, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your own mind. And so what Daniel is saying here, his prayer begins this whole thing. He's he's thankful to God that God's answered their prayers, but what what he says also is interesting. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. Reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. And what is that word, that, that word about the light dwelling with him? Again, we go back to John's gospel, and John talks about the light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. And that's the light that Daniel's talking about. God sees things that are unknown and unseen by us. And that light that he's speaking of, it's interesting in Jewish theology that what you would hear is, I know exactly what that light is. That's exactly how a Jewish theologian would respond to that. I know what that light is. It's that primordial light when God said, let there be light. And what they believe is, is that Adam and Eve with them were clothed in garments of light. So they were clothed in the Shekinah glory of God, which authenticated them as God's representatives and also caused a fear in the animal kingdom. They understood who, he, who they were, and, and they were, there was a fear of them. In the same kind of way, we're to fear the Lord, right? So it, it's, it's not an, an abject fear that he's going to crush us and destroy us. No, it's the recognition of his greatness and his power. And, and they said, so what happens is when they commit the sin in the garden, those garments of light are gone, and now they're naked. Before that, they had no experience of being naked because the garments of light that they had seemed to be, to them, garments. Now, this is all Jewish theology. This is not in the Bible. I'm telling you what they believe. But what they believe is that primordial light, the, the let there be light, light, the light that existed prior to the creation of the, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser right, light to rule the night and the sun and the stars. This is that light that was before that. And, and what they believe about that light was it enabled a man to see across space and time and to understand everything that was or will be. But after the sin in the garden that had to be gone because now man was sinful. And, and so a man could calculate what the impact of his actions would be. And so he could make a calculated bet on if I do this wicked thing, here's what the outcome of that will be. And so that light had to be taken away, but it wasn't taken away from God. God can see across space and time. That's the light dwelling with God that he's speaking about. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. John says that the darkness has never overcome that light. That's the light that he's speaking about. And he's thankful here. And then he goes in and he he says, specifically to the king, there's no God other than the God of heaven who can know these things. But that God reveals mysteries. And he has made known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. What he's saying is, you already really know. That's why you're terrified. And now I'm here to confirm what you already believe. And, And God's revealed it to me. He said, he's made, God, who reveals mysteries, has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the last days. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Why? Because I'm great? No, 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 not because of any wisdom I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your own mind so so you'll understand what God has revealed to you. He's given me the interpretation in order that you may know. And so what's he doing is he's saying, God is your God, too. He's God over you. And he's trying to speak to you and make things known to you. But I can know the interpretation in a way you can't because I follow him. So Daniel saved the bacon from the Chaldeans and these others who will make up the class of people who are known as the Magi, who are represented by these three men hundreds of years later. And we'll talk more about them tomorrow.